It's my privilege to offer a framing conversation for our experience during this worship time. And so I want to borrow a text out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I know you Bible scholars are thinking, he's going to have a homily about the offering? Come now, he must have been a pastor. In fact, for a while, for about 10 years, my title was the pastor of stewardship and administration. So yes, it is a favorite text. 2 Corinthians 8, chapter, uh, verse 7, rather. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Just to refresh our memories, this is Paul's letter to the new and improved Corinthians. They've been corrected by the first letter. The second letter now is following up. Maybe the third letter, depending upon your, your, uh, your history and your uh, exegesis you might do. They are volunteering now to, uh, to go to Corinth again, these uh, volunteers of Titus and some others, that they want now to invite the Corinthians to re-engage their generosity. They'd start a year earlier to participate in the Jerusalem Famine Relief Fund, this 10-year project that uh, was a fundraising project for the, the region around Jerusalem from the Mother Church area that was experiencing food shortages, heavy taxation, and overpopulation. And let me just disclaim now, just so you're aware, this has no parallel to the price you may have paid in tuition to get your degree done, nor the number of years that you may have spent to finish it. This is simply a framing text. As you look at this text in 2 Corinthians 8, you get this series of incentives that Paul suggests would help the Corinthians to buy in again, to invest again in the well-being of those who are around Jerusalem. He taps into their holy competitiveness and reminds them of the Macedonians who, although they were poor, have sacrificed greatly and extravagantly to participate in that offering. He reminds them that we are to mimic Christ, that just as Christ became poor for our sakes, we are to give ourselves and our possessions away. The famous Ben Witherington suggests that this is a culture of reciprocity, a culture by which those who had assets tried to buy the indebtedness of others by being generous towards them. They would be the patron, and those who received their kindness, their largesse, largesse would now become the client, and there now was this indebtedness that happened. And so, in this way, Paul invites those in Corinth to become patrons like our great patron, Jesus Christ. Paul also appeals to this innate drive they have to excel, this sense in each of us as human beings, because we're made the image of God, that we were created for something more, that we have capacity, that we have gas in the tank, so to speak, and we have that sense in which we are to exercise all that we are and all that we have for that excellence for which God has created us. Paul even starts to allude to keeping up their reputation. They may save face and not get embarrassed by having dropped off from their level of generosity with which they began. And then he sends some colleagues to go make the offering embodied. And as he does so, it's as if he is saying, we're inviting you to stand tall with these friends we're sending to retrieve your gift so you can follow through on the commitment you've already made to this profoundly worthy cause. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This faith, as we hear from St. Craig Keener, who was aligning with the insight of St. John Chrysostom, it points to the fruit of righteousness that automatically flows from the heart which is given over to God. It is this faith by which we know that God can and will act. And those of you who are nearing graduation, you are witnesses. You are the ones who say to those who are just arriving, it's possible. God is faithful. You can do it. It may look like a lot of pages to read. It may look like a lot of papers to write. But we are witnesses to God's faithfulness, and God will do the same through you. To be excellent and excel in speech, those oral gifts that include prophecy and teaching and tongues. And we hope that in your time here in this Asbury community, you now are more proficient in articulating your call and articulating how the grace of God might touch the lives of those you serve. To excel in knowledge, in discernment, in wisdom, in, in knowledge and in interpretation of tongues. As an aside, have you done inventory of how many pages you may have had to read for your degree program? Let's just say it will be modest and call it 1,200 pages per course. We'll be modest. At that rate, if you're an MDiv, you've done almost 40,000 pages. If you're a 60-hour degree, 24,000 pages. You can do the math. I'm not sure how many pages it takes to have knowledge, but we're asked to excel in it, and Paul invites us to that journey. He invites us to excel in earnestness as well. And this word earnestness appeals eight times in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9. That passion, that commitment, that zeal that says, I want to be all that God's created me to be so that I might honor the Lord with my life. And then he says that we also might excel in the love that has been given to us. Love that soil from which all the other four qualities blossom that not only guarding of the heart, but the gardening of the heart, that that soil might be rich and robust and bear good fruit for the sake of the kingdom. I was reminded the other day with a conversation between one of our counseling faculty and one of our historical theology faculty. And one of the persons said, you know, I just make good choices because of my smart reasoning. And another colleague said, no, not really. Our decisions always are born in our affect, not our cognition. It's as if Paul is saying, unless our heart is continually nurtured and settled and set before God in that constant work of the Holy Spirit, our decisions will go astray, no matter how smart we are. We are called, in fact, to have this work of God in us that we might excel in this magnanimity, this generosity, this gener generativity, even this sacrifice of what God has called us to. Another colleague, Chris Kiesling, uses the opposite of this generosity. You may have heard him use this fancy word, pusillanimity, pusillanimity, that constraining fear which keeps us back from all we've been created to be and do. That fear that says, I can't measure up. I can't fulfill God's call. I can't quite do all that God's called me to do. It was a conversation that St. Aquinas had many years ago. But it's a conversation we have in our own hearts and minds on a regular basis. For some of us, we think too largely of ourselves. 
But I suspect, especially in the holiness community, our temptation to think too little of ourselves. C.S. Lewis put it this way, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, as we celebrate this morning, thank you for not being too easily pleased. Thank you for making the commitment to excel, to be all that God's called you to be and then some by the grace and mercy of God. Because my suspicion is your call is broader and deeper and more robust now than when you started. But this is the invitation. Because of your faithfulness and God's faithfulness in you, we get to celebrate this morning. And you get to witness once again, to be testimony once again to the goodness of God through all of God's people. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this art and act of grace. We now invite Drs. Okeson and Kim to begin the celebration. <laughs> 